Welcome to Digital Dialogue with Jack Marr and Jay Mata. As we enter the digital age, the frequency and amplitude of change continues to increase in every part of our lives. We must use digital tools to survive, and when properly used, digital tools enable the savvy to thrive. We explore the intersections, overlaps, and voids of today's digital reality and the many ways we create and deliver value as we align our resources with our values. We've got Michael the coach and Michael the inventor, and I think this is going to be a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this because this is going to share a lot of value and also also an entertainment factor that our audience is going to love. So I'm going to jump in, Jack, if you don't mind. I'd like to start off asking Michael the Inventor, because that's kind of unique and really kind of get a feel for what Michael the Inventor does. So with that being said, Michael the Inventor, you're also named as, right, is what exactly do you do and what, what kind of service are you providing for people? I'm a third-generation American inventor, which is becoming more common today, and my biggest product is myself. Although I've created and invented in many different areas, safety and security, medical device. Recently, I reinvented the video surveillance camera to hit true zero bandwidth with 100% evidentiary information. But I'm really fascinated with what's going on today in the consumer-generated intellectual property scheme. It's about three, four years old, and it's a fascinating topic. So when you talk about that, is that something that when you're working with a client, are you actually taking them through the process? Would they come to you and say, Hey, I've got an idea, Michael. Can you help me take this out there? Can you help me get this ready to take the market or get the patent kind of thing? Uh, sometimes, but mostly I, I get a phone call, help. Something's gone wrong, and we've we've talked to our engineers, and we don't know what to do, and we need a miracle. And that's when typically I get called to uh, take a look at the situation and uh, see if there's a way that I can help. I've done that many, many times in my career. But if the first part, what you're talking about, where someone says, Mike, I want to create a competitive advantage. Then I want to talk about the difference between invention and innovation, which I think innovation is a very dangerous topic. And we can get into that if you'd like. Yeah, actually, I would. I'm published on innovation and have a book coming out called Focused Improvement, Innovation on Demand. Share a little bit about the the danger zone there so folks know what to look out for. Sure. I think the the most prevalent topic in that area is uh, Vin Diesel. Back in 2009, when uh, when Facebook was just starting out, and uh, they were looking at all of the members that were on their face pages, and all of a sudden they noticed that Vin Diesel had uh, skyrocketed to uh, almost, if not a million uh, likes, and uh, Facebook was amazed how this was happening. And so they uh, they reached out to Vin Diesel, the, the actor, demanded to know how he was getting a million likes. And he started a dialogue with them, but they ended up capturing the analytics that uh, Vin Diesel was creating through his Facebook page. And uh, for compensation, they gave gave him nothing. And uh, that has been something that they call today, they call intellectual property and emotional property. And that emotional property for Vin Diesel was pretty negative. And that brings up an interesting point, I think, for a lot of folks, too, is that innovation can mean a lot of different things. So in that case, the innovation was the way that he was generating traffic? Absolutely. He was he was getting a million likes when no one was even close to uh, to that many likes for their for their Facebook page. And 
to know how that happens for Facebook was key to the evolution for advertising, for uh, encouraging new members to come on board. Because remember, more eyeballs on the page, you know, Facebook wins. So right. what Ben Diesel was doing was uh, was enormous. And, and, that, and that brings up the topic uh, between invention versus innovation. And you know that invention is government recognized. It's prosecution oriented. It has a valid lifespan. You know, it's litigious in recompense. In other words, you can sue and get money. Um, and uh, the spectrum of valuation is, is enormous. Whereas innovation, it's not governmentally recognized. It's an informal process. It's transitory. You know, there's a large percentage of hearsay in it. And, uh, it's flaccid in litigation. It, ha- it has no teeth. Although, although something very interesting happened with uh, a gentleman who found a new way to protect employees. I think it was, uh, Home Depot. And he presented a package to them, an innovation, and they they adopted it. And unfortunately, uh, they didn't recompense. I think his name was Michael Powell. Yeah, Michael Powell. And all of a sudden, he was upset that, that he had come up with this innovation. It was a glove that he had innovated so that people wouldn't cut their hands when they were cutting boards. He took them to court, and he won. And they appealed. And he won even more, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so I love that, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So and that helps to, to frame that up. Thank you, because we're thinking about many different types of innovation. I think more from a product development perspective and applying design thinking to feedback from the market and customers is the style of innovation that I was referring to. And to your point, it can be manifest in many different ways. There's a lot of different kinds of innovation. Uh, We look at harnessing it so that you can apply it to a continuous process improvement as opposed to, I think yours is more around a discovery-based innovation. I think we both can agree on one thing. It needs to be a managed process. You know, whether it's innovation or invention, it needs to be highly managed. And that is, you know, the devil's in the details. And my book. And your book. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, so let me ask you this. When, when, when you think of inventions, okay, so someone like myself, when I think of inventions, it would be the pet rock, maybe the latest hose that does, unravels itself, kind of thing like that. Is that the kind of stuff, Michael, that you're working with? Like, do they, can they have any kind of product or is there a very specific niche that you work in when you're working with clients? Those products are important. I mean, that helps the progress of the free economy and, and it's very important to, what, what we call the little tchotchke things. But for me, I'm, I'm more of a big inventor. So I invented a wireless, portable, unique ID for safety and security that's used today to save millions of lives. I invented an infant respiratory rate monitor for developing countries. I found the problem in counting respiratory rate when the test is under a minute, and I presented that in Switzerland at the medical device conference. When you're looking at big inventions, it's not just me. There's a lot of us out there that have huge inventions. That's where the government recognized, prosecution-oriented, you know, evidentiary evolution. That's when that all kicks in because the price tag on that is in the trillions. And that's not your fee, though, right? Because your your fee's in the trillions, right? That's what you charge? What I'm saying is that the value of the intellectual property over a 20- to 50-year period to the marketplace, the trillions. 
Okay, that was my that was my dry sense of humor there. So no worries on that. Um, so thank you, thank you for that. So is there an ideal target client, or if you would, an ideal candidate that you would say, hey, this is where I can help you? Like kind of like how we talked about in the beginning, where they're coming to me because they're like, okay, we're, we've gotten this far, but we're hitting a roadblock. I mean, is there yeah. generally an ideal client or an ideal situation that you look for when you're when you're meeting with people, or maybe a market? Yeah, the ten to a hundred million dollar client is typically where my niche is. The the bigger than that, which I've worked in, I've worked in Texas Instruments and I've worked in a lot of different big companies. Sometimes they get a not invented here attitude, and that can stifle their competitive advantage. So the more the more they're open to, I'll say, invention and innovation, the more they're open to that and have a managed process for it, the more they're going to win. Because what did Bill Gates say that he was uh, most afraid of and, and Steve Jobs? They said that they were afraid of the guy in the garage that could literally reinvent their organization. And that's possible in the United States in a free economy. Yeah, that, the, hang on a second, Mike. That I absolutely agree with you on that. Let's give us a quick sec here, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Are you leveraging social media in your integrated marketing campaign? LinkedIn has the richest demographics on the planet, enabling you to connect with and build relationships with an audience that is probably looking for you. Let's use a laser focus and get right to the point. We can advise you every step of the way or even do it for you. Drive growth through high-quality personal relationships with your prospects and clients the way you've always wanted to. You can find us at standingonshouldersmedia.us or click on the link in the show notes below. Thanks, Mike. Can you pick us up where we left off there? Yeah, I was talking about the ideal client that I typically work with is if they call me and they have a problem, it's to invent a solution. Or if they call me for a competitive advantage, then it's a true inventive process. But any of that, even it's innovation or invention, it's a managed process. And I think that's where that's the most important point. Absolutely. Yeah, process is one of those things that people's eyes tend to roll up in their head when you start talking about it. But it's incredibly important. And it doesn't have to be onerous. It can be very simply and lightly applied just enough to help folks maintain the appropriate boundaries and make sure they're headed down the right way. So thank you very much for sharing that. We're going to bounce over to Coach Michael here next, and then uh, we'll circle back. Coach Michael, how are you doing today? What's uh, what's going on? Man, I am just loving life and really excited about the opportunity to share some information that can empower people. That's what I do for a living. Man, that's where's the collection plate? <laughs> Let's pass it out to you. I tell you, that's great. So, so tell us what tell us what you're excited about, and tell us specifically so our audience can get that value out of you, Coach Michael. Is that well, what specifically are you excited on that you can you can really break break grounds with people on? First of all, I'm a motivational speaker, and that's my passion. But I am an optimist, and it is my belief there's never been a better time to be alive on the planet than right now. And one of the things that I'm really excited about is my latest book is called The New Face of Entrepreneurship. And what I'm suggesting is there's never been a better time to be alive on this planet than right now. You guys began with saying how important the digital age is, and that's what's really making the markets accessible to anybody these days. So anyone who's wanting to start a business or become an entrepreneur, 
There's never been a better time to do that. And so what I do is I go around the country sharing ways to help entrepreneurs recognize that they are the heart and soul of their company. And if I can get them to be the best entrepreneur they can possibly be, chances are their companies will succeed. And how do you go through that process? So take me through that journey, if you would. So let's say one of these other businesses contacts you and you're here to help them become the best entrepreneur that they could be. What's generally the first process? Do you talk to the whole company in general or is it just between you and the decision makers of that company? It depends on the challenge. Now, again, from a motivational perspective, I go in and I inspire the audience. But if there's something specific that management is dealing with and they want to look at what may be the problem, then they'll hire me as a consultant to come in and talk to other employees. And so the challenge, though, is my work is really about what I call inner transformation. And so when I'm working with, say, a CEO that's a real jerk and he doesn't recognize he's a jerk, but yet all of his employees are saying he's a jerk, then I kind of act as a mediator in between those two. And I help them come to some resolution to, number one, make him aware that he's a jerk, but also let him know that him being a jerk is killing the productivity of his employees. And so giving him the awareness as a CEO or a boss allows them to change that corporate culture. Absolutely. And that culture is so important. It really sets the stage for anything else. In fact, Peter Drucker was very famously quoted for saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's really that important. The other thing that I remember reading a little bit about was, I think, uh, one of the things that you're really focused on is finding your purpose. And those things all kind of come together, don't they? your purpose, what your values are, what you stand for, what's important to you. And one of the things we talked about a lot in the Digital Transformation Workbook and Standing on Shoulders, a Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation, is about that culture and focusing on purpose and reacquainting values. We use a, a worksheet that is inspired by a guy named Simon Sinek and his golden circle around finding what your golden circle is. Is that pretty much in alignment with where your use of purpose is and including the divine purpose. Absolutely. And see, I think what's happening, again, people buy into all the negativity of the media, but there's a shift, I believe, and we'll call it the free enterprise system, because what I'm seeing is that more and more entrepreneurs are embracing what some people are calling heart-centered businesses, meaning they are starting a company with the sole intention of making the world a better place. Now, if you're going to run a business, obviously you want to be profitable, But more and more people are looking at what I'll call compassionate capitalism, meaning I can make tons of money, but I also can make a ton of difference in the world. So what I'm seeing is a lot of entrepreneurs have taken this idea that, you know what, I want to have a heart-centered business because a heart-centered business starts at the top. The person at the top generates, everything goes through him. So as an entrepreneur, if I'm a heart-centered entrepreneur, my team is going to follow my lead. And so that's kind of the coaching that I do is make sure that the person at the top is inspiring the people below him to find their why, as Simon Sinek would say, and to understand the importance of things like intimacy and vulnerability and compassion in business. These are things and traits that we as entrepreneurs can incorporate, which actually makes our companies run better. So are you suggesting they just totally take a from top level down then, that CEO or whomever the operationals is, that they actually take that approach with their people and engage them more into the decision making conversations of what they're doing or make them more aware of here's where our company's going? Do you feel like that may be more the direction that a lot of companies are missing out on? 
Well, interestingly enough, the overwhelming majority of companies are run by men, right? So my goal and one of the things that I do is I really focus on masculinity and how we as men interact. And when you look at CEOs, you know, obviously the, the male CEOs has lots of things on their plates. But a lot of times what we forget to do is just to look at our humanness as CEOs and recognize that we don't have to be perfect and we don't have to have this alpha male mentality that we're just driven only by numbers. If we can get the CEO to be willing to look at his behavior and see how it's impacting the people below him, we can then change the organization. And that can be extremely difficult to do, but it's definitely something that's doable. It's just got to work on the ego, right? Absolutely. That's 80% of it. Definitely sounds very logical there. And if you build that on a foundation of authentic leadership, especially authentic leadership that takes a servant leadership approach, that really then will drive the kinds of engagement and behaviors that I think will get to exactly where you were going with that, Michael, and that you then have people engaged and they're not just coming to work. They're part of this bigger picture. They see yeah. where they're creating and adding value and their role and the benefit. And we certainly see that as a very different world where folks are able to engage and be innovative and circle back to, to Michael's point about this innovation thing is really important and managing it and enabling it and empower folks to do that. That's what really drives the disruption that we see in so many industries. Yeah. And I think the, the most important conversation we have to have, especially as entrepreneurs and the buzzword is emotional intelligence. See, a lot of us as men, you know, we have been disconnected or we've been conditioned to be disconnected from our feelings and our emotions. And we don't it realize how that impacts our performance. And so gaining the emotional intelligence to be able to look at our our own behaviors and look at and relate to and connect with our employees definitely increases profitability and productivity. Well said, Michael. Well said, Jack. I think it's time for another break from a word from our sponsor. So let's grab that. Right. Yep. We'll be right back, everybody. Standing on Shoulders, a leader's guide to digital transformation, written by Jack Marr and Carmen Diardo. On behalf of everyone who tries to improve the business outcomes of the technology work we do every day, I applaud the efforts taken and the writing of this book so others can replicate their amazing outcomes. This book fulfills the promise of documenting their journeys and lessons learned and showing how the promise of creating world-class technology organizations can be within the reach of everyone. Gene Kim. Get your copy of Standing on Shoulders, A Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation at Amazon.com or at Barnes & Noble or at your favorite bookseller. Welcome back, everybody. I want to ask our panel for two very diverse backgrounds. Michael, the entrepreneur. Michael, you, you gave us an example about Vin Diesel. In your particular business, how important is social media for you? Or is it more of a direct, uh, a traditional conversation? Today, social media is a double-edged sword. It comes down to managing your brand. And the most important part of managing your brand is having a sensitivity to the people that come into your social media circle. 
and regulating their emotional property. In other words, Lowenstein had a, uh, an article that he wrote as risk as feelings. And he said that people in this interaction create an emotional investment. And even that act of creation of emotional investment is an attachment to them. So in other words, if they come out with a good idea in your social media circle, they have an emotional attachment to that as property. They feel they own it. And recognizing that is very important in social media. And so the whole aspect of social media has increased dynamics that we've never seen before. It's something completely new. In a newspaper, you had time. There was time between deliveries. So you could think, you could digest, you could, there's so many things that you could do before you opened your mouth or made a response. Today, it's instantaneous. And so that's how important management is in the social media circle. And for me, every time I put out a message, I'm always thinking about the impact it's going to have emotionally, even in a corporate business environment. It's extremely important. And I agree 100% with Coach Michael when he talks about the emotional aspect, trying to get a message across to corporate America and to have them understand the importance of connections between people and the emotions uh, involved with them. Uh, Coach, what's your opinion on this? For your particular business, how has social media really made an impact? Do you look at it as a double-edged sword? Well, I definitely agree with that. And I'm just now getting involved with social media from a financial perspective. I think social media is amazing for entrepreneurs because it gives us access to customers all around the world. There's no limit to how many people we can reach. Um, But I I go back to uh, what Jack was saying about uh, Simon Sinek. For me, finding my why was finding out that I have a deep passion for people. I love connecting with people. And so, therefore, I love being on stage coaching and teaching and speaking. The social media, I think so many people get so caught up into trying to build content that they forget or they lose who they are in trying to get likes. And so, again, there's lots of benefits to social media, but at the same time, I think it can pull you away from your why. And for me, my why is getting in front of people, coaching people and teaching people. And I can do that through social media, but not as effective as I can on the stage. So, okay, th- that sounds really good. And I appreciate both of your insight on that from two different perspectives. And, and it seems like there was, there was an alignment there. So I want to give our audience this, how they can get a hold of both of you. Okay. So Michael, the inventor entrepreneur, can you tell us how anybody can get a hold of you, where you want to send them and the, how do they contact you for a consultation or learn more about your work? Thank you. There's two ways they can get a hold of me, me at michaelscript.com or mscript at into capital, I-N, the number two, capital.com. Coach, how do they get a hold of you? CoachMichaelTaylor.com is my primary speaking site, but for the people that are interested in entrepreneurship, joypassionprofit.com. That's www.joypassionprofit.com. That's great, guys. Everybody, I really, Jack, Jack, I love this show today. It was great, wasn't it? So Jack obviously agrees with me. <laughs> yes, great show. Absolutely. I, I'm not doing good on my mute control, but uh, yes, this is a great show. Thanks, guys. You brought some unique perspectives, and I know I am better for having had this conversation. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think our listeners 
Everybody out there, reach out to both of these gentlemen. You really, truly have everything in the game by finding out how they can help you, okay? So, Jeff, definitely do that. And I want to thank you both gentlemen for being on the show today, and uh, we wish that you get a million hits yourself. And so, everybody, we hope you enjoyed it on your end, because most certainly we did, and we will see you next time here on Digital Dialogue. (laughs) 